Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to another edition of the Buck and Sack Show. I'm Michael Sachs in San Francisco. The man you hear on the other lines, Ryan Buckley. Ryan, are you still in Portland? How are you doing? Uh, I am still in Portland, <laughs> I'm just outside of Portland in, yeah. uh, in Newburgh, and doing just fine. It has been a relatively dry winter so far. We actually had a gorgeous day up here today while the rest of the country is freezing their ass off, and uh, I am uh, flying solo at home tonight as my fiance is out of town on business, so uh-huh. I may may or may not be wrestling a puppy uh, on this podcast while we uh, record. Yeah, you know, that came out weird. I, I didn't mean to say, are you still in Portland? I knew you were still in Portland. And oh, I, no, 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 I didn't take it that way. You're good. <laughs> I don't even know what I was thinking. <laughs> I'll tell you what I was thinking. I was thinking about how to work in a joke about what you texted me while you were a little bit late for the show tonight, which was uh-huh, you were yes. taking your dog to take a poop. Uh, did it? Did he uh-huh. take a poop? Uh, can you give us a little coverage of that? She did. Yeah, she did. She was... Oh, she uh, yeah, she she waited. She was good. Didn't uh-huh. go in the house. Didn't whine. Went out. It took took her a little bit longer because you know she has to smell the whole lawn before she makes a decision. So, uh, but we digress. We don't really need to get into the uh, the fine details of. Uh, I don't know. This I was I was kind of interested. I know. Anytime I can get some <laughs> some of the inner workings of a of a good dog walk that ends in a nice poop, I am happy to to find out about that. But let's move well, on. Well, I'm glad I could bring that to the pod tonight. Yeah, then. normally we got off track there, and that it's all on me. Uh, normally, I would give the date. It's January 29th, Tuesday night, 2019. Ryan, it's Super Bowl week. Uh, the big game. I don't know if we're allowed to say Super Bowl. You know, I, we're going to talk about these prop bets that all the casinos have in Vegas now. And you notice at the top of all their sheets, it says the big game NFL championship yeah the pro football championship some of them go with that Mm -hmm. too I don't think we have an audience large I think we're allowed to say Super Bowl I think the whole thing is you're not allowed to profit off of it without cutting Raj Goodell a check so I think that Mm. we're okay but it is Super Bowl week I'm fired up for the big game uh that's going to be my good of the week but why don't we start off with your good of the week which is uh, a bit of a regional story here in California, but uh, tell us about it and why it's your good of the week. Yeah, it is uh, a regional story in Northern California, but I also think it's something that probably resonates with most sports fans at Mm -hmm. some point or another, either because they can identify with this or because they haven't been able to and wish they could. Uh, And that is, uh, and it's actually, it's a little bit sad, the passing of former Giants, San Francisco Giants owner, Peter McGowan. Uh, He passed away at the age of 76 um, he was having some issues with uh, both, I believe he was battling prostate and liver cancer. Um, but he, for those who aren't familiar with him, bought the team uh, with another group of owners uh, or with you know, a group of people in uh, 1999, I believe is when he took over control. Um, but he essentially was the guy who stepped in and saved the Giants or at least spearheaded the act of saving the Giants from moving to Tampa when they were rumored to be leaving San Francisco and uh, when it looked like that was in the works and not quite signed, sealed, delivered, but getting to the 11th hour, he's the guy that came in and not only did that, but then also spearheaded the new ballpark, uh, which isn't new anymore, but at the time was a new ballpark in China Basin. And it really transformed that area of the city. There's still plenty parts of uh, South of Market Street that aren't great, but that immediate area right around the ballpark it's just really gorgeous, and uh, it, you know it, they created a dream ballpark there. And obviously, 
the team thrived in that setting, and, and he's really the reason that they were there. And so it's the really reason it's my good of the week is less to do with, with him individually, but the importance of kind of having people in your corner for your sports team. And, we, you know, you see it happen. And granted, Peter McGowan did this in part to make a ton of money, and he had a ton of money when he got into the uh, business of owning a sports team. But there's also something for me to be said about the wanting the loyalty or the loyalty of the team and wanting to keep it at home. And and so frequently you hear about teams that are uh, kind of robbed from their owners or teams that are taken away from their cities, like you might have with the Seattle Sonics um, relocation and things like that. Uh, that could have happened to the Giants, and it didn't. So whether you're a fan of the team that uh, of a team that has relocated, or a team that has been saved by somebody uh, coming in and stepping up to the plate and keeping it uh, where they are, I think most sports fans either know what it's like or what it isn't like to have uh, somebody with deep pockets in your corner. And uh, you know the Warriors are going through that a little bit right now with. Uh, Peter Guber and Joe Lacob specifically, they're, they're a win-at-all-costs operation. They weren't at, at risk of leaving or going anywhere. But when you have a, uh, a tight-fisted ownership group, it's really hard to enjoy what you know the potential of what your franchise is able to do. And when you start to open up those checkbooks, you see what's, what's possible for the fan base. And really leads to, a, on a selfish level, a lot of enjoyment for, for me and the region that I grew up in. And so I, I, people like Peter McGowan are kind of what uh, what makes sports work for some of us in our region uh, because of the contributions and how important it is to them to uh, develop the team in the area they're in. Yeah, a um, lot to chew on there. Uh, Peter McGowan, you know, is is basically, as you said, but he, is, he specifically is credited with saving yes. the Giants from moving to Florida and also for getting the best ballpark in America built. Certainly the best new ballpark that hasn't been there since the 1910s, in my opinion. You know, it's the best. I haven't been to all of them, uh, but it's the best that I've been to. And he, you know, you talked about the South of Market area. The South of Market area that of which you speak is has been for the last five years the number one hottest real estate market in America. Um you know, mm-hmm. some of the biggest and most successful companies in America weren't there ten year, five, ten years ago, and now they are. In a lo- and that is in large part to the the Giants ballpark that, as you said, completely revitalized that area and everything sort of built off of it. Um, so, you know, I don't haven't heard much of that discussed with Peter, but I think it's a big part of it. You know, his story uh, personally is an interesting one in that he grew up in New York as a huge New York Giants fan and was just crushed when the team moved to San Francisco. And then interestingly, he went to college in Stanford and sort of followed his boyhood team out to California, ended up Mm -hmm. staying out here after he graduated, and then ends up owning the team that he cheered for. And then on top of all that is faced with this sort of, you know, come in with Superman's cape and save the team from moving back to the East Coast, although not back to New York. And he said, he had said many times that he was so crushed by seeing his favorite team move, he couldn't let that happen to his, you know, sort of newly found hometown and, Mm -hmm. and of course, his favorite team. So interesting that that all sort of worked together. Um, And, you know, he has taken a lot of criticism. You know, he's among the sort of uh, poster boys, I guess, for lack of a better word, 
for being one of the owners that was sort of complicit in the whole steroid thing and sort of definitely some people blame him for not doing more, for not realizing it, that his star player, Barry Bonds, with whom he had at least on some level a close personal relationship in as much as an owner uh-huh. and a player can have. Uh, but, you know, he has taken criticism for that. I'm not sure if it's really that founded. I mean, really, what and could he's he actually and should he have done? gone on the record and saying that, that he wished he had done more as far as just not turning a blind eye to some stuff or kind of not wanting to know some of the things that were going on. Yeah. And uh, and it, it, it not necessarily being directly complicit, but knowing maybe stuff was going on and, and not doing anything about it and raising a flag on it. So Yeah, I mean, to me, if you want to spend any period of time blaming Peter McGowan for baseball steroid problem, you, you, <laughs> you're just completely lost and barking up the wrong tree. I mean, does he deserve maybe a sliver of condemnation? Perhaps, but I don't, you know, we've spent too much time now already talking about it. I probably shouldn't have even brought it up, but I, I more brought no, it up it, because it, I think it warrants mentioning. It warrants sure. mentioning, but I think more so it warrants that argument uh, is deserving of criticism, to be honest. I mean, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. But, you know, he and everything you've read about him in, in the days since his death have, has been nothing but the highest form of compliments. Everybody uh, just seemed to love the guy on a personal level. Um, and, you know, I have one funny recollection of, of Peter McGowan. I never spoke with him, but what, there was one night where I was working at a Giants game and we, you know, for CSM Bay Area. And I was out there, I probably field producing, and I was standing in the tunnel there. Uh, the audience isn't going to really know what I'm talking about, but there's a little tunnel outside the Giants clubhouse, and then the steps lead down to the dugout. And I was standing there waiting for the game to end so I could go into the onto the field and get postgame sound or whatever. And Peter McGowan mm-hmm. was came walking through. There was no one around except for me, Peter McGowan, and the mascot, Lou Seal. Uh, and I was just sort of standing, like Lucille came up the dugout steps there in costume, and the person who played Lucille came over and gave Peter a hug and said, how, you know, and I just heard them have a conversation. And and Lucille basically was like, you know, I haven't seen you in a while, Peter, how have you been, or whatever, and they just sort of exchanged pleasantries. But that was just a bizarre little moment <laughs> that I witnessed one time. <laughs> to, to, yeah, to, uh, to be privy to the kind of those inside ones is always interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's Peter McGowan, the former owner of the Giants, talking to Lucille, you know, in character. So it was right. very, very <laughs> odd, but cool. And Peter seemed extremely... You know what people say about him. Just very, uh, just a, it seemed like a, a true gentleman, and uh, he'll be missed surely. But he, he leaves an unbelievable legacy, uh, not only of the ballpark, but you mentioned his prior business. You know, he was basically the owned Safeway grocery stores, and uh, he was the CEO of Safeway. I learned, yeah, yeah. He uh, his family owned Safeway, and he was the CEO. His father. I believe, owned the grocery store before him. And he made it, uh, he left it better than he found it. And it's a thriving grocery store chain, mainly here in California. Uh, I go there all the time. It's not a super high-end grocery store. It's probably middle of the road. I mean, these days, you know, everything's so organic and high-end and local and all that. Safeway is just kind of your standard supermarket. It's solid, uh, good prices, 
uh, nice. It's good, but nothing like outrageous. It's just kind of a place where normal people can shop, and and I like that. And then that's where where I go there. Why I go there a lot. So uh, credit to Peter McGowan for saving the Giants, building a beautiful ballpark, and running a great grocery store chain. And by all accounts, being a true gentleman to everyone he came in contact with, you know, he'll be missed for sure. Yeah, he will be. And uh, and yeah, just as a Giants fan personally, uh, and as someone who's gotten to enjoy three world championships, uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't have had they come in Tampa. So uh, I'm appreciative for that. Yeah. And, you know, that you do bring up a, a good point. We'll move on after this, but I don't want to. I just want to, I think this illustrates the point. We've talked about it many times, but when you look big picture at professional sports, you know, as a fan or as a media member, just somebody who's sort of analyzing the lines, the landscape and Hey puppy, how are you? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Someone who's just, you know, sort of surveying the landscape. Ownership is crucial to a team's success on and off the field. I mean, it's everything. And clearly the the ownership group that bought the Giants and opened that ballpark, it's now the same group. Uh, some people have come and gone, but it's mainly the same group. Um, but they've done an un- unbelievably great job. You can't say enough things about them. To me, they're a model franchise in every way. You the, the three world championships, certainly. But the way they... Everything about them that they do is first class. And I am not a Giants fan at all. I'm a Braves fan. I don't root for the Giants. But I respect the hell out of that ownership group on every possible level. I think they do everything first class. And you talk about treating their – they treat their players right, they treat their former players right, and they treat their fans right. And to me, those are sort of the three masters that an owner serves, and they check off all the boxes there. They do, and I'm going to close this door so we don't hear the dog <laughs> barking anymore. I, my fault. She, she was, uh, yeah, she was <laughs> looking up the stairs at something that's going on there, and there's no one to entertain her. So door closed. Door closed. And uh, apology for the Hopefully interruption. Hopefully, it doesn't fuck up the Wi-Fi signal, but we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully it's not. Good right let's, now. anyways, let's get on to your interesting yeah. of the week. Let's go to my no. Good of the week. Oh, excuse me. Good of the week. Yeah. My, my um, the dog's of the week. throwing me off, man. It does seem like we've <laughs> been in this forever. Hang with us, everybody. We're, we're just kind of rambling tonight. But Peter McGowan's a big figure, man. He really is. Not just in San Francisco, but all of sports. What he did is, is big. Uh, uh, speaking of big, uh, my good of the week is Super Bowl 53 between the Rams and Patriots. All right. And I think there's a number of angles you can look at for me. Honestly, I'm having a hard time deciding who I think is going to win on this game and who I want to bet on, Ryan. Uh, I'm torn. When the, when the matchup was sort of, you know, came into focus, I immediately felt like the Patriots were going to win, and I wasn't alone. I find it interesting that the Rams opened as a point, point-and-a-half favorite, and the Patriots were immediately bet to be about a point-and-a-half favorite. That has gone up. Uh, In some books, it's gone up to three. It's kind of settled, it seems, now around two and a half. I was looking online, and there's still a few casinos in Vegas that are up to three. Um, But the longer, or I guess I should say the closer we get to the game, the more I'm starting to think that the Patriots might be in trouble, Ryan. Um, You know, for me, I think that... 
I usually feel like I have a really good feel on most Super Bowls, and I feel like most years I pick them right. I, I was like looking back through the list, and I can remember who I picked in every game, and I feel like I'm hitting it about 75-80% clip of just who's going to win. Not so much against the spread, just who's going to win over the last 25-30 years, um, which is... I don't know. I guess I'm, I amaze myself, like Mark McGuire once famously said. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I just don't have a great feel for this one. I think if it wasn't the Patriots and their aura and their track record their, and their mystique, if it was another AFC team, like, I don't know, say the Ravens or the Steelers or the Dolphins or somebody like that, and, and but this, the players were the same and they just didn't have the history, I think I'd think the Rams were going to win this one fairly, not easily, but I just, I would pick the Rams, but I'm torn uh, as to who I like. So uh, who do you like in the game? See, it's funny. I'm a little bit like you in that I've had a hard time picking it. But with me, it's more that I liked the Rams initially, and now I'm starting to second-guess myself mm, because I feel like a fool picking against picking against the Patriots. The longer that I like – the more I like the Rams, the more I'm thinking, is it a total fool's errand to bet against Brady and Belichick in this spot, especially the year after they lost a Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just – it's one of those hard things to say, and I think – it's going. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. I think that if the Patriots are able to go up early, the Rams can score fast enough to get back in the game. And if the Rams go up early, I can see them just getting tight and trying to hold on for dear life. So I, I don't think we're going to see um, one team really shellack the other. We haven't, thankfully, really seen that in the Super Bowl in a while, with the exception of that Broncos-Seahawks game. Yeah. But, um, but you know, it, it's just... It's going to be a good one, man. I'm excited for a lot of the matchups. I'm, I'm excited for a lot of the, you know, kind of the people pitted against one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, just put, personally, we've had some fun up here this week with some of the like barbs in the media that Patrick Chung and Brandon Cooks have thrown each other's way because one's a duck and one's a beaver. So a mm-hmm. little Pac-12 uh, rivalry going on mm-hmm. in the middle of that. But that's not what this is about. Uh, it's it's about whether Tom Brady and Bill Belichick can do it again. And I, I heard a stat today. Um, do you know how many players have won a Super Bowl ring in the Brady Belichick era of the last 17 years? How many different players? Yeah, have won a Super Bowl ring. 200? It's 260. Hmm. Like, I mean, the, the, the fact that with the, just those two people at the helm, you take away the coaching staff that, oh, over a quarter of a thousand people have got a ring on their finger because of, in, in part, those two guys. I just, oh, okay. I misunderstood the question. I see what you're saying. Now. Oh, yeah, yeah. So basically, in the Brady Belichick era of of the last 17 years, 260 different players have won a have won a ring with the with the Patriots. With the Patriots, um, and I so, thought you meant all yes. NFL players. No, yeah, no, no, no. I, with the, yeah, excuse me. But, I may but not my have guess that up made no way, sense but, based on what I was thinking. Whatever. But it, that is that, that is a, a great stat. It's just staggering, and <laughs> I, and it makes it hard to bet against them. Is is really what I'm trying to say is that the more I kind of like some of the personnel matchups, and I I think that Sean McVay can hold his own from a coaching standpoint. The Patriots have been pushing all the right buttons so far, and uh, I obviously D Ford had a little something to do with them being in this game, but I'm now becoming very gun-shy about the Rams, even though I, I kind of like them on paper better. 
Yeah. Um, okay. To further the discussion, uh, here's some other things that I've been thinking about. Um, and you talk about betting against Brady and Belichick, and I think that uh, the majority of, of football fans are in that camp. But, you know, they have lost three of these, Ryan. In all three, uh, it took just a tremendous effort, twice by the Giants and then last year by the Eagles. And in all three, there was kind of like a crazy play that kind of sunk them. You had the David Tyree catch uh-huh. the first time. Then you had the the Mario, the Eli Manning throwing catch to Mario Manningham, I believe it was, the second time the Giants upset them. And then last year, the Philly special with Nick Foles uh, catching the, the touchdown pass at the end of the first half. Um, so mm-hmm. three iconic plays there. Or, you know, obviously those three plays didn't necessarily beat the Patriots but those are what beat them and then of course they were down what 28 to 3 to, or, or 31 yep. to 3 it was 28 to 3 to the Falcons in the game three. another yep. game that they probably not probably they should have lost so really they yes. should have probably lost four of those games now Patriot fans will say they should have won the two against New York okay fine but my point is is they haven't dominated you know this is their ninth trip to the Super Bowl. They haven't dominated any of them. All of the all of the games have been close, both wins and losses. In fact, I think last year's eight point margin, where the Eagles beat them by eight, was the largest margin either way in any of their previous eight Super Bowls. So they're beatable in this game, and that brings me uh, to me the biggest storyline in this whole thing is, you know. Belichick and Brady trying to win their six, which would be a record no player or coach has ever won six. But also the list of players and coaches who have lost four is a short list. Uh, the Vikings yeah. and Bills famously 0-4 in the Super Bowl each. And uh, the Broncos lead the list with five Super Bowl losses. The Patriots as a franchise actually have five. They lost in 85 to the Bears. But you know Belichick and Brady have only lost have lost three. Um, so, uh, do I have that right? Yeah, I do. Uh, so, that, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so yeah. this is to me, you know, you, you want to talk about legacy and the best ever and all of that, which is really just sort of the lowest hanging fruit argument that sports fans can have. It's really kind of a dumb argument because when you're talking about, you know, who's the better player, Brady or Joe Montana or Terry Bradshaw or whatever, they were all amazing in their own time. The game changes and so forth and so on. But to me, if Brady can win this game, he had his chance last year to win the six. If he can get that six ring, it basically ends all debate on the greatest football player of all time discussion. I mean, for the most part, and same for Belichick. But if they lose, you know, I still think that their legacy is pretty amazing, pretty pristine. You know, the 13 AFC championships, the nine Super Bowl appearances, that's never going to be touched again. But if they lose the back-to-back with the chance to get the six, that's going to be something everybody remembers. So I think that, to me, is the biggest storyline in this one. And then the other is, you mentioned it, you know, sort of the the other side of that coach-quarterback coin. Uh, McVay and Goff are the youngest combined coach-starting quarterback duo in the history of the uh, in the history of the Super Bowl I think they're 57 years old combined and to me you know all the pressure 
uh, is on them. And, and it's also on Brady and Belichick. I mean, that's just kind of the name of the game. But to me, if you want to talk about the X factor here, it's Jared Goff. And can this third-year quarterback you know, score enough points to beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl? I think most sports fans doubt him. But you look at the numbers and you look at what he did against the Saints and the Cowboys, he's pretty damn good, Ryan. I don't know what it is. He just kind of has that hangdog look. You know who he kind of reminds me of? Uh, just in terms of his demeanor and his kind of persona is a little bit of Jay Cutler. Um, does, does that make sense to you at all? Yeah, it, it's, I think that there's, there's a little bit of kind of blank face, mm-hmm. uh, to him or like vacant face where that he, that he makes where it's, it's almost like he's a little bit checked out, uh, yeah. or so it seems. And to the, to the point where it all, if you didn't know, that he was like a hard worker, you would think that he was maybe aloof, uh, but yeah, it's he's not got the that case. California yeah, cool vibe. California about vibe him. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he does. It's undeniable. But that you know, that's just us looking at a television set and making judgments on a guy that we don't know, which I hate to do. Uh, he's been a gr- he's had a great two seasons, particularly this season. Uh, you know, his whole career changed. Once McVeigh came in and Jeff Fisher left, you know, everybody loves McVeigh. Uh, he's made it to the Super Bowl, but, you know, to be thought of as people are sort of thinking of him, he needs to win this game or certainly a Super Bowl down the line. You know, you would think that he's going to be back. You don't know how many chances he's going to get. And then the other storyline, too, is Aaron Donald, you know, to me is the probably the best player in the NFL right now. I think he's going to probably win back-to-back Defensive Player of the Year awards. Very few players Mm -hmm. have done that. He's a dominant force on their defensive line, and it's going to be really interesting to see what Belichick and Brady have to sort of counter him, but they've obviously got some other dudes that can get after the quarterback and stop the run. So just sort of those that chess match between – uh, Josh McDaniels and Brady, and then Wade Phillips, the wily veteran defensive coordinator for the Rams. As you said, a lot of really cool and interesting matchups, great storylines all over the field. I'm really pumped up for this game. I think it's going to be a fucking awesome game. Yeah, and you know what? Two things uh, that you said made me think of elements of the game that I'm also excited for. You mentioned the Rams defensive front and a name that I've been hearing a little bit more in the last couple of weeks that you may have heard too, Dante Scarnecchia, the mm-hmm. offensive line coach for the Patriots. They have not allowed Tom Brady to be sacked once this postseason. Zero not times. once. Zero times. And yeah. last time I checked, the Chargers and the Saints both uh, both had, excuse me, not the Saints, and Chiefs. the Chiefs both had a pretty darn good pass rush. Chiefs, I believe, led the league in sacks, or second in the league in sacks, and uh, the Chargers with with Ingram can certainly get after the quarterback as well, and the fact they haven't allowed him to really even be touched is pretty remarkable, and what they've been doing with that O-line in general has been really impressive, so I'm excited to see how he and the offense really handle that Rams front, and then the other person, you mentioned Wade Phillips, uh, just a little aside about him, I kind of love his old man swagger that he's, he's got legend. going on. I don't know if you saw saw the photo of him wearing his dad's old sheepskin coat. Totally awesome. uh, With his and jumpsuit boarding on the plane. And cowboy hat, too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but he, he he's great. He's, all, he's good for a few quotes. I remember earlier this year when uh, Sean McVay said something significant and unique about each player on the, on the Bears' defense, and they asked 
uh, Wade Phillips, he could, he could do the same about the Bears offense. And he goes, I know that I got that guy Turbinski at quarterback. And that, that's basically all he had. He's just he's a funny guy, and I, I love the vibe he brings. He said this week when uh, asked about what challenges or what he plans to do to uh, make it more of a challenge for Tom Brady. And he says, my plan is to get an earpiece and listen to Tony Romo on the broadcast so <laughs> yeah. I know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah, he's but, great. Uh, so. I, I like a lot of these coaches that are involved uh, and uh, aside from just the head coaches uh, and he's certainly high on that list. Nah, he's great. I mean, he's a legend in his own time and only like real good football fans know about him, but you know, he as he's bum Phillips's son who famously coached the Houston Oilers back in their heyday. So he grew up in and around the NFL did Wade Phillips and he's been a coach in the league basically his entire life. He's been the head coach. I believe a boat, of the Bills and the Cowboys at least. I might be missing one, but he's been a defensive coordinator for probably six or seven teams. I mean, think about the shit that he's seen, Ryan. I mean, you spend your entire life, your entire life in NFL locker rooms. Think about the shit that he has seen. I mean, whoo! I mean, perhaps very few people in the history of America have lived a life quite like Wade Phillips. So, I mean, let, let's just be real about that. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And just think about all the, the men that he's, you know, sort of been the coach of and the problems that he's had and the, and the stories that he's heard and has personally witnessed in the nights, the, the late nights out and on and on and on. You know, it's got to be what a life. And, you know, a chance to win a Super Bowl here. <laughs> You know, at his age, is pretty remarkable. And not to mention, I mean, he's he's the defensive coordinator of one of the most, I don't know, sort of rough-and-tumble defenses in the NFL. I mean, he's got a bunch of crazy characters on this team alone. Uh, so, yeah. Hats off to Wade Phillips for a tremendous career, but it's going to be uh, one hell of a game. I'm really excited. I'm just looking forward to the whole day, you know, eating my face off, knocking back some cold ones, betting, all of it. I'm in. I'm ready for it, big time. So uh, that's my good of the week. We're going on forever. Uh, what's your bad of the week? My bad of the week, and this is going to sound uh, really broad off the top, my bad of the week is digital and social sports media coverage. And what I mean by that, and, and really – where this comes from is Nikel Roby Coleman, the now infamous uh, slot corner. For Your Rams. boy. Oh, yeah, my boy. Uh, who who uh, hit Tommy Lee Lewis in the NFC Championship game and was not flagged for it. Uh, that's who we're talking about here. And there was an article that came out from Bleacher Report, and uh, the tweet read, Rams DB Nikel Roby Coleman goes off on facing the, quote, arrogance of the Patriots and beatable Tom Brady in Super Bowl. Quote, put the dagger in them, pull it out, and let them leak slow. Mm. I mean, that's really inflammatory stuff the week of the Super Bowl to be saying about the other team. I almost couldn't believe that he had said that about Tom Brady and the Patriots. And the thing is, he did say it, but he said it like a year ago when he was playing on a different team. Mm -hmm. So... This is one of those situations where I saw a bunch of people retweeting this quote. I saw a bunch of people on the Patriots and Rams side asked about this at media day or, or opening night, as they're now calling it, uh, yesterday. 
And I, I just, I get that it drives people to their website and it generates clicks, but if it's not authentic journalism. And the fact that there are more and more entities now that are, are measured by the metrics that they gain on these digital platforms, specifically Twitter and Facebook, and to some extent Instagram as well. The fact that the there are sales numbers tied to those platforms it means the information needs to be more catchy than it does quality. And I, I am in this spot now where I'm realizing it's harder and harder to get good, legitimate sports reporting coverage. And back when we had fewer mediums to choose from and, and there weren't as many websites, you paid for a newspaper and you, you were paying for that sports column that you were reading every morning. And so it had to be better. It had to be good. Otherwise, you're maybe you're not going to pay for it anymore. And the fact that there's all this free stuff out there, it's an arms race for the clicks and the, and the time spent on, you know, whether it's your web page, your app, uh, whatever it is, but there are fewer people writing good stories and more people pumping out photoshopped graphics of Anthony Davis wearing a Lakers jersey. I mean, one of those is journalism and the other one isn't. And and so, I, you know, it's not really about the Nikhil Roby Coleman thing as much as it is a shift in the sports media industry that I don't want to say has me alarmed. But, you know, when I go to work every morning and I have to write a few sports reports and updates, I go to the websites that I would expect to have the information and half the headlines are about viral things. Maybe it's about something like Brandon cooks, bringing the custodian of the, of the Rams and his son uh, to the Super Bowl. I mean, that's a really nice story. I love that story. But that's, <laughs> and, 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 that, and that's a fantastic story. Yeah. But like where, I mean, where are the trade rumors about what's going on in the NBA and where are, where are the things about like the key matchups uh, in, in the Super Bowl? There's so many more, of the viral and catchy storylines now, because that's what keep these publications on, you know, online and in the social space in business. And so in it, but it impacts and affects the content that, that we then get to consume and that is fed to us. So it could have been an interesting of the week, but I, don't, I really don't like when the advertising and the clicks are driving the content and we're getting so much more of that now, especially around a time of year like the Super Bowl when, you know, I, I don't want to say I feel duped, but you see something juicy like that and you're like, haha. And then you find out from the guy yesterday, he's like, that was completely taken out of context. Yes, I said these things, but I was here and this was the circumstance. And you're not getting that story because that's not what's going to get your click. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to say on this topic, obviously. I mean, it's not just a <laughs> sports topic. It's a no, oh no. It's a it's a worldwide, it's a, a nationwide topic and, and a worldwide topic. I mean, obviously, the political climate in this country is a huge. This is feeds right into all of that. We're not going to go there right now. Uh, I'm gonna, so I'm going to stay on the topic of sports. But to me, I think the overarching theme that that I guess I take from all of this is that. It is now the responsibility of every person to be really careful about who you're reading, who you're listening to, and who you're putting your trust in on every topic. Um, because there's, 
the, the landscape is so vast and so wild and there's so much out there. I think there is a lot of great journalism out there, probably more than ever, really, if we're talking about sheer volume and sheer quality, but it's hard to find sometimes. And you, the, the, everybody's sort of responsible for themselves to, to going out and finding it. And once you sort of find the people that you can trust on any given topic, then you're kind of good. And then you got to also obviously figure out who you can't trust. Um, so that's kind of the way I approach it. I think Twitter, you know, I hear people ripping on Twitter all the time, but it's like anything else. It's what you make of it. You get to choose who you follow. Now, the 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 fly in the ointment in all of this is the algorithms that Google and Facebook and Twitter yep. and Apple News and all the rest of them have where they're basically trying to feed you stuff that they know you're going to click on because that drives up as you said clicks and then they can charge more from advertisers to pay them and so that's really what this game is all about so it's getting harder and harder to even if you're trying to seek out good journalism you're trying to find the truth sometimes it gets to be a little bit difficult because you you're you know you're only fed so many uh, certain outlets when you google something or when you're on facebook or you're in your twitter feed or whatever um the algorithms are such, like I just said, you know, that they're trying to feed you stuff that you're going to, they already know that you're going to click on and like. So that's how they make more money. So you have to be really diligent. You have to be kind of hardened to the whole thing. And it's hard. And a lot of people don't really sort of understand everything that's going on out there. They don't really understand the concept of fake news. Or in your case, not necessarily news that's necessarily fake, but it's taken out of context, or it's sensational, or it's sort of trumped up to gin interest and get clicked. So it's a, it's a wild world out there. It's really fucked up. Um, I, I don't think it's good at all. There's really nothing good about it. Um, the only positive I take is, again, the, there's so much information out there. There is a lot of good stuff being written. Uh, I don't think so much video. I think there's a lot of great podcasts. Uh, ours notwithstanding, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I find myself <laughs> listening to more podcasts than almost anything else these days. You know, I was thinking about this the other day, uh, how I sort of consume information. Really, it's by podcasts and then reading articles off of Twitter. And I try to be really careful with who I follow on Twitter so I'm not getting a bunch of crap fed my way. But yeah, I don't really watch TV much at all anymore. I certainly don't read many newspapers or magazines. I do still get Sports Illustrated, um, but that's about it. And so I just find that podcasts are, are amazing because you get direct access to people that you feel like you can trust, and that's sort of the easiest way to filter the information, I find. Yeah, I think that uh, if you do some of the kind of almost self-filtering uh, on the front end, you can kind of protect yourself from a lot of the garbage, mm-hmm. but uh, it's you know still murky waters to navigate. But I think we've uh, we've covered it pretty well. I agree. Um, my interest, uh, my bad of the week is something that we talked about last week, and we talked about the Baseball Hall of Fame vote that last week when we did the show on Monday was going to be revealed the next day. We have since had it revealed. It's now a week old story. And I was way more pissed off and fired up about this on Tuesday and Wednesday than I am <laughs> now, to be honest. But I, I'm still pissed off about it, Ryan. Uh, I think that the Baseball Hall of Fame has been turned into a bit of a sham and a joke. And it really bothers me because I grew up, 
you know, baseball was probably the sport that I loved the most growing up. And, you know, I just remember thinking that if you were in the Baseball Hall of Fame, then you were basically to be held in the highest of highest esteem. I mean, making the Baseball Hall of Fame, to me, is one of the highest honors that a human being can get on the face of this earth. Uh, I, I feel the same way about the Football and the Basketball Hall of Fame. But part of that is having high standards and only letting the very best of the best in. And I feel like we have, we've gotten away from that in recent years, and it is tied into this whole steroid thing to where the voters are not going to let Roger Clemens or Barry Bonds in. They're not going to let Sammy Sosa in. It's looking like they're probably not going to let Manny Ramirez in, and Kurt Schilling's on the fence, um, and that bothers me. All of those guys that I just named should be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion, for all the reasons I, I stated last week. I don't want to get into the minutia of why, but to me... You can't if you don't, if you want to keep those guys out. That's one thing, but you can't start letting marginal guys in. And I feel like this year in particular, they let Harold Baines in, and it wasn't the baseball writers; it was the veterans committee. But Harold Baines is not a Hall of Famer by any metric or standard. I was looking down nope. the list of of guys that have been voted into the Hall of Fame over the last thirty years. Harold Baines is the worst one, Ryan, and it's not really debatable i don't understand how no. he got in and then uh in the vote the this fact too and it actually really bothers me michael that he got in before edgar martinez did as as the kind of predominant well, that, that was DH just semantics because the veterans committee i, voted I know it ahead was of, but but like if you're gonna put it, it i think it sends the wrong message to put baines in before edgar martinez has yeah, gotten in. I, I, I mean they're gonna get inducted together this summer, so sure, um, I, I I don't care, but I, yeah. I just think that that should be Edgar's honor alone. He he was he was the kind of DH of the generation. He's the best DH ever. I mean, they they named yeah. the DH of the year award after him. I mean, the fact that he's yeah. the best DH ever isn't really debatable. We could debate whether he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame or not. Uh, that's not really my point here. But I don't think Bain should be in, and I don't think Mike Mussina should be in at all. Like I don't I don't. I mean, I think that Mike Mussina is at best a borderline candidate, but to me, he got in because those steroid guys did not get in, and that really pisses me off. I mean, the fact that you're going to put Mike Mussina in over Kurt Schilling is a total freaking joke, honestly. Um, and then, you know, some of these other votes, you know, the, the other thing that bothers me is how Edgar Martinez gets in on his last chance, his 10th year. So to me, if he wasn't good enough to get in the previous nine years, what made him all of a sudden good enough to get in on the 10th year? And the same thing can, on a lesser extent, can be said about Fred McGriff, who got, let's see, he got 40% of the vote. He's done now. This was his last chance on the ballot. But he ends up getting more votes than guys like Jeff Kent and Todd Helton in particular, which I think is a total joke. Uh, you know, Todd Helton finishing 15th in this thing. It was only his first year in the ballot. He only got 16.5% of the vote. Ryan, in my opinion, Todd Helton's a first ballot Hall of Famer. No questions asked. Uh, do, do you agree with that? No, I totally agree. I completely agree. There, are, there are a couple guys. Um, I was surprised to see how how little traction Larry Walker had too. Yeah. I mean, but th these guys, basically, I know they hit at cores, but uh, they also had numbers that were just as stellar on the road. It wasn't as much a product of the ballpark um, as it as it was a product of them being phenomenal generational hitters, and that's what they were. And these guys, I mean, 
most years they rolled out of bed and hit 330 or yeah. close to it. And, and uh, play gold glove and, defense. Know, that too. Um, it's just, I don't, I don't really get some of it. And, and you mentioned something too. I've never understood. I get some of these writers uh, that you only get, what is it, 10 votes on your ballot every year? Yeah. Um, so there, you may not be able to vote for everyone you wanted, but I really don't understand the picking up of votes over time and the messages writers are trying to send with like, I mean, who is coming around on these people? I feel like if you're, it's almost like there should be a one-year vote and everyone decides, is this person in or are they out? But this whole, you can gain some ground and you're changing some minds, like what is yeah. going on there? Yeah, people, you know, people are, are out there campaigning for various guys. Like, who was the guy that got in uh, a couple of years ago that somebody had, like, spent his whole, you know, last 10 years, some sports writer was, you know, campaigning and writing all these articles? I think it was Gary Carter, I think, who got mm -hmm. in that way, who I thought was a very borderline Hall of Famer as well. But, you know, the whole thing, just in general, has become a joke to me. And it's really a shame because, like I said, I mean, getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame should be an honor bestowed upon only the best of the best. And I think that most baseball fans agree. What's the, what's the, it, it just cheapens the whole thing. And it makes other great yeah. players sort of by uh, uh, affiliation be, seem a little bit less. And then you get into this steroid thing and you have Anonymous, every year now you have these articles where anonymous Hall of Famers are saying there's already three or four guys in the Hall of Fame who they know use steroids. So, I mean, do any of the writers listen to that? You know, these holier-than-thou writers who are you know, going to invoke, there's, you know, there's a clause in, in sort of the, uh, the instructions to the voters that, you know, it's like called the morality clause where anybody who sort of tarnished the, the reputation of the game they're not to vote for. You know, I just think they need to do away with that clause because I think a lot of sports writers are using that as a crutch for grudges that they hold against guys like Bonds mm -hmm. and Clemens who yep. are not, you know, never great to the writers. And, you know, writers are saying they lied about using the steroids and they haven't admitted it. If they would just admit it, they would be forgiven. You know, I, I kind of I get that. I mean, maybe Bonds and Clemens should come out and issue an apology. I, uh, at this point, though, I kind of respect the fact that they haven't. I mean, really, who do they have to apologize to? Um, if they want to apologize to you know, other great players who are already in the Hall of Fame, I could see that maybe being a good way to go. But, you know, I just have a problem with the whole thing. And, uh, you know, a lot of these sports writers, you know, now have been given the option to make their ballot public. A lot have, but some haven't. I mean, if you're keeping your, your ballot private at this point, I think that's total chicken shit. I mean, come on. So uh, the, just the whole thing, well, and the actually, whole thing bothers this, me. They've taken something year... that should be an amazing thing and they've, and they've made it shit. And it just, it bothers me to no end. So next year, uh, the ballots can no longer be anonymous. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Every, everyone's will have to be revealed next year. And I think this year they said the numbers, there were the fewest anonymous ballots cast by a really wide margin because people are understanding that next year people are going to know what they're doing anyway. So they kind of want to set the, wanted to set more of the precedent this year for what they're doing, kind of set their own baseline, so to speak. 
Yeah, uh, and one one thing I'm gonna add, if people out there are interested, if you just go on Baseball Reference, they have an awesome, a bunch of awesome metrics that sort of, you know, for every player that's ever played, they have like a baseline number as to whether or not that player should be basically should or, or has a good chance of being a Hall of Famer. Uh, and it's uh, there's two different Bill James metrics who basically invi- you know invented analytics in baseball. Uh, he started the whole sabermetric revolution. And you, it, it's just interesting to sort of compare and contrast, guys. And I'm just going to throw a few out there. There's two different ones. But, you know, Mike Mussina is 121 in this Bill James Hall of Fame monitor. And usually if you're over 100, you're likely to get in. But just for sake of comparison, so Mussina's 121, Halliday's 127, Edgar's 132. All pretty much around, you know, let's just say an average of 125. So here's some other guys. Kurt Schilling, 171. Clemens, 332. Bonds, 340. Larry Walker, 148. Manny Ramirez, 226. Jeff Kent, 123. So a little higher than Mucina, a little below Halliday. Uh, and then Todd Helton, 175. So way higher than those three that got in this year. Gary Sheffield, 158, way higher. Uh, Pettit, actually, Andy Pettit, 128. He's getting penalized now for being a steroid guy, so to speak, even though yep. I don't know if he should really be in anyway. Uh, and then Sosa, 202. So all of those guys, all of them that I just mentioned, m- were either higher or right on par with the three that were voted in. Martinez, Halliday, and Mucina, and all of those guys finished below them. I mean, that's just, to me, is unbelievable. I don't understand how these writers can justify it. To me, they're just totally fucking this up. And a lot of these guys that I just named are not necessarily quote-unquote steroid guys, at least not for certain in the same way that Bonds and Clemens are. And really, it's like I said last week, none of them are for certain. None of them failed a drug test that was administered by MLB that should be trusted on any level. The whole thing's a joke. Yeah, I'm, I, I think that uh, you, you, your rant is all uh, on point, valid, and I'm not sure I have really much to add to that. I mean, I, I, I'm in agreement. I mean, I, I'm in agreement with all of it. <sighs> Pisses me off. What's your interesting of the and week? And it should. <laughs> What's your interesting? <laughs> My interesting of the week um, is the retirement scenarios of the Patriots, really three of the goats at each of their position. That would be the head coach, the quarterback, and tight end of the Patriots. Arguably the best three to ever do it in each of their positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot. I mean, any of them could ride off into the sunset after this. But I, I'm starting to think about the dynamics of how much longer this thing can, can keep going. Because I really thought that this season might be the end of the line for the Patriots at yeah, one point. Not alone. Uh, and then, and then they came and then they kind of came around in the regular season. And then even towards the start of the playoffs, I'm wondering if they could still be that team. And it, I don't want to say it doesn't look like they're showing any signs of slowing down. I think they are showing some signs of slowing down, but I'm, I'm amazed at what they're able to do when they turn it on. And I think this year more than any other, they have clearly, left something extra in the tank for the postseason and and not pushed all the buttons that they used to push in the regular season. I mean, they pushed enough to get the first overall seed, so it's not like they called the dogs off, but I, I think about specifically someone like Rob Gronkowski, and I've even heard it speculated that when he was mulling, r- reportedly mulling retirement last offseason, 
that he had a, a meeting with Belichick and Belichick said, listen, man, like I will find a way to give you less of a beating on the football f- field if you can come back for another year and, and, we'll, and we'll only really use you as aggressively as we have in the past when we need it. Uh, some people believe that's a conversation that's happened. I think of all the people, Gronk is the one who's most likely to walk away, and he's yeah. the youngest, of obviously, of the group. He's only 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but, he, but he's got back issues, man. And I just I think about this. And I, he does. And I, but I, I think about these three specifically and, and just really – I don't want to go wax and poetic and just say what a pleasure it's been, but they are the three, the best that have ever done it. I mean, you could say Tony Gonzalez maybe for tight ends, but what what Gronk was able to do when healthy was like machine-like, revolutionized the position from the, the point of being able to be physical but also skilled. Um, just, just the perfect tight end combination. Obviously, Brady, greatest quarterback ever, and Bill Belichick, the greatest coach ever. I, I wonder... Will this be the last time the three of them all ride together? Um, if not, what is the likelihood of each of them potentially hanging it up? I mean, I was also astonished, and this is part, goes into the interesting, to uh, to hear how adamant Tom Brady was that there is zero chance he yeah, retires after the Super Bowl, win, win or lose. Yeah. Um, and, and he's a guy, and I, I respect the hell out of this, most people say, well, what more could you want? You've done it all. And now you could do this thing that no one's ever done and win a sixth ring. And shouldn't that be enough? It's not really about that. He just loves doing this. And as long as you can do it and want to do it, you should do it. So, yeah. you know, would it be sad to see him crash and burn and go down with a shoulder or, or knee injury on a, on a blindside hit, uh, you know, when he's 43? Yeah, that would suck. But if that's what he wants to do, he's kind of earned the right to go out his own way and I was thinking this this might be the perfect opportunity for him to ride off in the sunset, but that sounds like it's absolutely not going to happen. And then I think Belichick's a little bit of a wild card because there's some dynamics at play in that organization with Brady, with his trainer, with Robert Kraft, who's taken whose side Kraft has taken in the past. Uh, there, there's a, been a lot of internal drama there that's been pretty well documented. So I'll be interested to see kind of really what Gronk and Belichick are going to do. I don't think that Belichick's as likely to, to call it quits, but you never know about really any of the three and and thinking about it possibly being their last one altogether makes me appreciate it and, and maybe almost want it for them a little bit more as if they haven't had enough success already. But uh, more than anything, I just, I just respect what they've done and hope it's not the last time I'm seeing all of them. Totally agree. And you guys, we are both on record as being not Patriot fans, but big time Patriot admirers. And I'm rooting, you know, I, I open the show or open my good of the week with just talking about how I'm not sure who I think is going to win. I can tell you for sure, I'm rooting for the Patriots, full stop. Uh, I, if I bet the game at all, you know, w- just with a buddy, I'm going to be betting on the Patriots. I'm not going to bet on the Rams because I want to root for the Patriots. I want to see them win this game a lot. Um, so that's fully how I'm going into this game. But, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you on all three counts, on all three guys. I think Gronk is the most likely to hang it up after this game. And then I saw tonight, actually, that apparently Devin McCourty, their all-pro safety, said that this might be his last game as well. He's probably not a Hall of Fame player, but he's been a hell of a safety on that team for the last yeah. five or six years. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, that's just another storyline in a game, as we said, has a lot of storylines. So, uh, all good stuff. Um, my interesting of the week is takes us to the NBA hardwood. And there's just a few different sort of stories out there this week that I find to be interesting. I'll try to just be brief on each one. I think the most interesting is one we've talked about a couple weeks now, and that's your boy, Jimmy Harden, number 13 on the Houston Rockets, who took a tough <laughs> L tonight to New Orleans. Uh, uh, Chris Paul is back now. Uh, and, you know, Harden went on this tremendous streak where he was scoring 30-plus uh, each game. And if you look at it, it was the lowest number he had over that. I think it was a 16-game stretch, was 31 at Philly, a game they lost. But so Chris Paul goes out, uh, I believe, on Christmas Day. The first game the Rockets played without him was on 12-27 against the Celtics, which they won. Harden had 39 points. And then he just went on a complete tear. Uh, the biggest night he had on that run was, let's see, he had... 62? Yeah, I'm not seeing the 62. What am I missing? He did that one at Madison Square Garden. Uh, that was last week, I think. Oh, you know what? I was looking at the minutes. I'm an idiot. Yeah. He had, well, let's let's be a little kinder to yourself, Michael. Positive self-talk. On well, the it's a big, it's big, yeah. yeah. That wasn't smart. So you're right. He had 61 <laughs> at the Garden. I said his lowest 61, number on that run right. was 31. That was actually his lowest minutes. His lowest point total was 30, very close. It was 32 in a win against Denver, who has the second best record in the West. But my point is, is everyone's been ripping Harden for taking all these shots and all these points are coming unassisted and it's ugly basketball and, you know, he gets away with the step back travel on the three and he pushes off when he drives the lane and he's, you know, drawing all these cheap fouls. All of that may be fine and valid, but I think this run he's been on is spectacular. And then the part that surprised me was when I looked at the standings and saw that the Rockets are now like in the five hole. And when before Chris Paul uh, went out and, and Harden went on this run, they were out of the playoff picture, Ryan. And that, so they went 11 and five with Chris Paul out. And for a bulk of that, their third best player, Clint Capella, has been out. And for some of that time, Eric Gordon, probably their third or fourth best player, has been out too. So what James Harden has done, in addition to all of those negative things that, I, that people are on him for, is he carried his team to an 11-5 and record over that period of time and scored a shitload of points in the process. I don't really get the negativity towards him, Ryan. I think it's it's an example of this digital social media narrative taking uh, sort of eclipsing what the truth really is. Uh, and, you know, when people talk about how he's not a winning player and he doesn't win in the playoffs, well, he went 11 and 5 with all those guys out. He went 11 and 5. So, you know, I just think that the whole negativity thing is kind of a bunch of shit in this instance. Yeah, I, I am very impressed with what he's done. I've never been particularly a, a James Harden fan, but he, be, he for me, has become appointment viewing. Uh, and, and that, I think, is maybe the finest compliment I can pay to an athlete. Somebody who, if I know they're playing, I want to stop what I'm doing to watch them play. And I hate to say that about him specifically because there's one element to his game I can't stand, and that's the the game within the game of trying to get fouled to get himself to the line right. for easy freebie points. And uh, I get that it's part of the game. 
I get that he has kind of got this down to a science and an art all at once, but I, I don't like it. It's not the style basketball I want to play. I would, or, or would want to watch. I would much rather watch Clay Thompson or Steph Curry go out and get 40 plus without a single free throw attempt. I think that's more fun to watch, but I'm not going to say anything. I can't, I can't say anything negative about the performances themselves. Cause they're remarkable. They're, they're really remarkable. Yeah. But, and again, they are. Everything you said is true, but I don't think the fact that his team went 11-5 and five during that stretch. It's like, I had to go uh, go out and look that up. Nobody's talking about that, Ryan. And, and that that's kind of the part that bothers me. Um, it is. And I, I just think that he isn't getting the credit he deserves here. But I think that's partially because of the way the league has evolved, too, as far as just being a a personality and individual driven league. I think more than any other professional sports league, the, the league itself and the teams themselves really like to prop up the players as individuals uh, more than the team as a whole. You know, the NFL they say is all about the league itself. Um, the, the major major league baseball, more about the teams themselves as far as how they market themselves. Basketball is really about the players. It is. And I, totally. th- I, I think that, when we get so obsessed with what the individual is doing and and how that impacts the league as a whole, sometimes the how it affects the team is just getting skipped over. We talk about you know generational players and you know the way that uh, that jump shooters or the three the three pointer is is revolutionizing the game, and no one's talking about. You know, is it making teams more successful? I mean, obviously you have the Warriors; it is with them, but the wins and losses and the team successes are sometimes getting lost between the individual and, you know, what they're doing either in history or that's changing the game or, or whatnot. We're, we're missing the principal part of the game and that is the winner loss. Yeah. I mean, all of that is true and it is totally a player driven league way more so uh, than any other to be sure. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you're a sort of a successful organization or not, you need to win. You need to win games, you need to make the playoffs, and you need to be a championship caliber team. Uh, and and J- the Rockets, with James Harden, are that. So I just think that he needs to get credit for that. So uh, enough on Jimmy Harden. It actually goes in perfectly to my other... Uh, interesting story of the NBA. I have three, and that's the Golden State Warriors, Ryan. They've now won 11 in a row. The last loss they had was at the hands of the aforementioned Rockets with Jimmy Harden, which was just a spectacular performance by him at Oracle. Really a game you could argue the Warriors should have won. Totally. So, yeah. but So the Warriors haven't lost since then. They've reeled off 11, 11 in, in a row. row. Uh, in that stretch, they've gotten Boogie Cousins back. He looks to be out of shape, but really, really good for being out of mm-hmm. shape. And it's like I said at the beginning of the season, Ryan, they're completely unbeatable. There's nobody out there that can give them a run in a seven-game series, in my opinion. 
And honestly, I'm not really sure that's even debatable unless somebody makes some trades, which is going to be my third interesting topic here in this little NBA segment. But they're just they're firing on all cylinders, Ryan. They've got five all-star starters for the first time in the history of the NBA. It's staggering to watch them play. They basically can do anything they want on a court. You know, they've got so much lineup flexibility now. They can go big, they can go small, they can go medium. They can, you know, play Curry off the ball. They can let Durant run the point. They can do all kinds of stuff on both ends of the floor. Uh, it's an amazing thing to watch. I know you're a lifelong Warriors fan. Do you agree? I mean, this is just, they've obviously, they've won three championships, but I think this team right now, when Cousins rounds into shape, is going to be the best team, not only that they've had, but clearly one of the historically great teams in the history of the NBA. Yeah, it's going to be and it already is starting to look that way. And I think that Stephen Curry mentioned after their either their last game or the one before that Steve Kerr kind of woke him up and said, hey, guys, look at the calendar and where you are in the schedule. Like, we're at game 50 in the season, and we need to be starting to hit this playoff stride. So I think that there was a little bit of a lull and a it's okay if we take some time to really get it together and take things seriously. But I think they're starting to sense a little bit of the urgency now that they have – the full complement of the roster, and uh, and and they're all. It's almost like they're getting to play with a new toy for the first time, so they're interested. Mm-hmm. And uh, and when and when they're interested and engaged, uh, they are so r- ridiculously dangerous because of how talented they are. And I think the thing that may be as indicative of, of just how good and how insane that lineup is is I saw when the starters were announced for the All Star Game, a graphic put up by ESPN on Twitter that said, who would you rather, uh, which starting five would you rather have? And it was the Warriors starting five versus the Eastern Conference starters for the All-Star team, which was, I think, yeah, Kyrie Irving, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kemba Walker. uh, I'm trying to remember the other two uh, who would have been in there. But the fact that you could really, that you could even entertain the argument for one team's starting five to be better than an entire conference's starting five is just absurd. Yeah, I can't think of who the other two guys are, too, which speaks to the fact that uh, the Warriors have a better team than the Eastern. But I'm oh, looking... Kawhi Leonard was in there. Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, Kawhi in Leonard there. is uh, in there as well. Uh, I'm looking at. I up. think I'm missing a big. A fr- I think I'm missing a front court guy. Who the hell is it? Oh no, I guess that that would be on Tedekumpo. Uh, I don't know who I'm missing. Um, we're a bunch of stumbling schmoes. I can't even find it right now. It's all right. It's it doesn't the matter. Point. The Warriors are clearly better than the Eastern Conference All-Stars. I'm just going to say it. It's not even a debate. I mean, they would smoke them up and down the floor. It reminds me of, like, Little League. I remember when I was, like, 10 or 11 years old, there was this one team that was, like, super awesome, and they ran the table. They didn't lose a single game all year. So, you know, the coaches or the parents or somebody decided – that the All-Star game at the end of the year that year was going to be the All-Stars from all the other teams playing the team that hadn't lost all year, which I thought was a super mm-hmm. cool idea then. And now that I think I, like, back I love it, it. Yeah. what a boss move by the people running yeah. Ward's Corner Little League. I mean, talk about give it, give something <laughs> for the fans to enjoy. Just a, a great move. And uh, I remember I was the starting pitcher that day. And I honestly don't remember if we won that game or not. I think we lost. I think the super team ran the table and went undefeated 
for the whole year, but I feel like I would have remembered it if we had won and probably erased it from my memory since we lost. So I'm going to go with that. Nobody gives a shit. Um, but it just reminded me of that. Like, I hadn't really heard... I, I, I give a, a shit. That's a great story. Yeah, a legitimate it. argument like that since I was 10 years old uh, and it happened to me. But yeah, the, they're, they're, the Warriors are incredible. There's been a couple quotes over the last week or so that stood out to me. Uh, I don't know if you caught either of these, but there was one where Durant basically sung the praises of Steph Curry and talked about just what an amazing uh, on-court relationship they have and how much he admires what Curry can do, just how the two of them together are basically impossible to defend. And then he tied that quote into just how when Curry gets cooking at home, it's an atmosphere that's unlike anything in the NBA. And, you know, when he played at OKC, he knew it was a great fan base, but now that he's been here it's even better than I thought and I just thought it was interesting that he would publicly say that in the wake of you know what happened with Draymond and the rumors that he was going to leave I felt like that was a little bit intentional by him he's not a dumb guy and I thought for him to put that out there in the media was interesting for the obvious reasons um, you know with his pending free agency coming up and then the other quotes was after they beat somebody. I think it was in Chicago, uh, but Kerr came out and said that this is the best the NBA's ever been, that there's more good players and more, you know, just more elite teams than ever before. And, and then Curry sort of piggybacked on that and agreed because they asked him about it. But I just think it's interesting how Kerr is almost now setting up the fact you know, that to me is speaking to the naysayers that think that the Warriors are too good and they're just going to run through everybody. And he's saying, you know, maybe that's true, but the NBA is the best it's ever been, so you shouldn't discount us in any way. So I thought those two comments, while not related, were two things in sort of in warrior land that really stuck out to me. Yeah, this is an interesting time for the league as a whole, and it's a remarkable time for uh, the Bay Area fan base uh, following the Warriors because, as we mentioned, what they're doing and the pieces they have are really like unlike anything we've seen before, uh, or at least in in recent memory. And uh, and they're they're just in this this uncharted, rarefied air that is uh, is really fun. And I, I am thrilled to be along for the ride. And um, I actually may bring this team back up again in our wild card. Ooh. There's a tease. Tease me. Uh, you want to talk about Anthony Davis basically demanding that they trade him to the Lakers, or should we just go over that? I'll just say that uh, what, I, what I found uh, <laughs> most interesting about it is uh, is the fine that came down today, the $50,000 fine. Um, and and the, the two uh, kind of, I guess, comparisons that I saw to that figure relating it to the, the everyman is that uh, – for the based on you know salary relative salary that uh, if a person earning forty thousand dollars a year were to get fined that same percentage of what they earn, it'd be like getting uh, a seventy six dollar fine. Yeah. So it's it's basically like a parking ticket mm-hmm. for Anthony Davis. The right. the other thing is that uh, he makes uh, it takes him eight minutes of game time to make fifty one thousand uh, dollars. So that'll cover the fine right there once yeah. he plays. Uh, you know, just about two thirds of a quarter there. Yeah, well said. The fine's a fucking joke. Everybody knows that. I don't even know why they levied a fine. And I mean, all, really, and who know, is we'll, that we'll supposed to punish? This. Nobody. It, yeah. it's, it's Adam Silver saying, I, I actually am okay with you guys doing this. <laughs> that, yeah. that's, that's what it is. The because, whole thing is I mean, interesting. I mean, just the way... I guess the most interesting part to me is 
is just the the tie-in to LeBron. You know, LeBron goes to the Lakers. He couldn't get another superstar to come with him. Now, you know, th this whole arrangement he has with uh, Rich Paul and Clutch Sports, Rich Paul is his childhood best friend, Ryan. And he yeah. and mm -hmm. he is now LeBron's agent, but he's also Anthony Davis's agent and a bunch of other stars' agent. I mean, the whole thing... There probably should be some rules against all this happening. I mean, it's like akin to why our Constitution has the separation of church and state. This is sort of the NBA equivalent of that on obviously a completely different level. But I, th I hope people get the analogy. But, you know, it, the, the whole thing just kind of stinks. I mean, it's collusion to the highest form. You know, Anthony Davis is under contract with the Pelicans, not just through this season, Ryan, but through next season as next well. Next season, this too. Is the exact yep. same thing that Kyrie Irving did. And I understand it, and we've talked about it, and we're both on the record as saying we're, we're pro-player in all of this. But at a certain point, it's like, you know, like you're getting, what, $25 million uh, next year from the Pelicans. Like, can't you just shut up and go play out that contract and then you became a, become a free agent? I mean, that's what free agency is. That's what contracts are. You shouldn't be able to bitch your way out of a contract that still has another year and a half on it. And I understand the leverage. I understand all sides. It sucks for the Pelicans, though, because this could honestly crush their franchise to the point where they're going to move to Seattle. I mean, that seems like a very realistic scenario. Yeah. And it was going to probably happen anyway. He was never really going to stay there anyway, which is fine. I get it. That's his choice. But the whole thing where he's now basically saying, you have to trade me to the Lakers, I, I have a little bit of a problem with that. He should probably have to wait until he's a free agent, or at least through the summer. You know, I heard Jalen Rose say on TV today, and this is something I, I agree with, that it used to be in basketball, if you're, you know, a mega star and a mega player like Anthony Davis clearly is, he's one of the top three or four players in the league, no one's going to really argue with that. It used to be if you're one of a, a player of that caliber, you would look to, go, to lead that team to greatness. You didn't have to go somewhere else for greatness. And I'm not one of these no, people... No, you bring the talent to you. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. And I'm not one of these people who blames Durant. I don't blame any of these guys for going and playing wherever the hell they want. They should do whatever they want by the rules. But this is sort of a little bit breaking the rules. It's certainly nudging the line of the rule way more into the court of your favor. And I just, I, it doesn't sit well with me, but whatever. Uh, you know, he's going to go to the Lakers sooner rather than later. Uh, they're still not going to be able to beat the Warriors, at least not this year. But now it's becoming fairly clear that he's going to go to the Lakers. And then on top of that, Kyrie Irving and LeBron have apparently made up. So Irving's going to probably go to the Lakers. So that's going to be a fairly formidable threesome. Uh, Kyrie Irving, LeBron, and Anthony Davis. And as we sit here tonight on January 29th, I would bet heavily on that actually happening. Things could change, but that's certainly the way it looks right now. Yeah, it is the way it looks right now, and I think that it's uh, what's unfortunate or kind of hypocritical is that anytime it really benefits all parties in from a business sense, uh, no one's ever going to regulate something like that. I mean, it's 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 like you saw with the, the really like the subprime mortgage crisis. Right, everybody was getting rich, uh, and so and and then but eventually someone was going to get fucked. And, uh, and so it, everyone is having a party and it's going to be fine until the NBA just has 
you know, two super teams and those are the only people anybody wants to watch. I mean, I don't know what the fallout's going to be, but there's a reason this sort of collusion uh, isn't supposed to stand. But because it's LeBron who's orchestrating it, it flies. And the Lakers. And that I have a problem. It's the LeBron Lakers and the too. Lakers, absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, LeBron did did this crap in Cleveland and Miami, too. So, yeah. where, where he basically plays puppet master for the league as a whole with the other, uh, with, with coaches, with GMs, with players. And, you know, I, I don't really feel like it would be okay for anybody else to be doing this, but it's okay for him to be doing it. And, uh, you know, it's not like I have this huge problem with them you know trying to join forces i think the more challenges there are for the warriors the more likely it is that they stay together to see those challenges and beat those challengers um so i'm actually kind of okay with that element of it i just don't like the way they're going about it because the people who don't have a lebron james or don't have a market like new or like new orleans what do they have to fight with uh, I guess it is, is totally. the thing that would bother me. And, you know, in some ways, this is the Pelicans' fault. Uh, you know, they maybe shouldn't really even have a team. I, you know, the people who live in New Orleans and, and support that team care about two teams. They care about the Saints, and they care about the LSU football team. LSU Tigers. And that's yep. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and everybody understands and knows that. So it's hard to feel too bad for the people of New Orleans here because I don't think the majority of them really give a shit if the if the Pelicans move to Seattle, and therein lies the problem. But I just think it hurts the overall league. But I, obviously the people that run the league want the Lakers to be great. That's the whole reason LeBron went there. I mean, once LeBron went there, we knew something like this was going to happen. We just didn't know exactly what the pieces were going to be. Now we, it looks like we pretty much do. So good for the Lakers, good for LeBron, whatever. But the whole thing just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I think we agree. Let's go in the book and talk about Super Bowl 53. Yeah, Super Bowl 53. Lots to talk about with Super Bowl 53 because there are about a thousand props, and that is not an exaggeration. It's unbelievable. Uh, I've listened to a couple uh, sports-based, gambling-based podcasts where I've heard some of these sportsbook directors from various uh, sportsbooks in Las Vegas, specifically from the South Point and the Westgate, mm-hmm. and uh, and they are that that's the number they're given that they come up with about a thousand props, and it's actually kind of cool. They allow uh, a lot of their employees to just pitch props, yeah. um, and uh, and the ones that they they think work. I, I heard a one that I'd never heard before that was uh, will. Uh, both team or will either team use all six of their timeouts? It's like it's such a random thing uh, to think about, and you know, obviously, the tighter the game, the more likely they use them. But if you're up, maybe you wouldn't because of a scenario, and I'm not sure what kind of odds they put on it. But there are just so many things now that can be gambled on, from the entertainment to the game itself, to individual and personal feats, to team feats, uh, and then of course the game itself, where the line is. Two and a half in favor of the Patriots, and I believe the over-unders at 57 still? Yeah, it, depending on which one you look at, it's 57 or 56 and a half, which is it's dropped a point or two. Um, it, the, looking at these props through all the different casinos is truly staggering, Ryan. I mean, anybody out there who's interested, I highly recommend you go to vsin.com, the Vegas Sports and Information Network, V-S-I-N, because they've got all, they've like sort of compiled all the different sports book sheets. Uh, and it is un 
unbelievable the amount of props are. And you know, it's interesting. You go to Vegas, and even on just like an uh, average NFL Sunday, there's very few props. You know, it's basically your standard run of the mill. You can bet on the first half, second half, spread, over, under. But for the Super Bowl, they really go all out. And I mean, anybody who's into sports gambling on even a cursory level would just enjoy logging on to VEASAN and just looking at the array of everything. And the ones that I sort of like the best are the ones that involve other sports. Like, there's one that William... It seems like William Hill is big into those types of bets. Like, for example, you can bet who's going to score more points. Ireland and England soccer team, who I guess... Oh, I'm sorry, rugby team who is playing on Saturday. So combined points of Ireland and England rugby team versus the distance of the first made field goal in the Super Bowl. And the Ireland-England <laughs> points is minus a point and a half. Uh, there are some others like Monday night's bean pot goals, the famous Boston College hockey tournament mm-hmm. versus Tom Brady's yards of first touchdown pass. Uh, and that's a pick uh, I and- couldn't find the exact one. I know there's one that involves Steph Curry as well. Either it was his made threes or made free throw attempts, and it was against Rob Gronkowski total receptions or something yeah. like that. Uh, so, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah, there's like another cool one where you kind of combine like two affiliations. Like Cal is pay- playing Stanford in basketball, I guess, on Sunday, right up against the Super Bowl. Brilliant scheduling by the Pac 12 there. Um, <laughs> unbelievable unbelievable they tip at one o'clock and the super bowl's at 3 30 so I'm sure there will be a big crowd for that one but anyway so it's cal's first half basketball points versus jared golf's pass attempts and golf of course went to cal so like just little things like that i think are really cool and i'm actually debating I- i've never had my own online account and bet for real i've never bet uh, legally anywhere except Vegas. It's always just friends and family. But I think I'm going to get one of these apps on Sunday, Ryan, and give it a whirl. I'm just sort of interested to dip my toe in the water, maybe put 50 bucks in there and spread it around on a bunch of these props. Mm-hmm. Just, just Honestly, I think it's going to be hard to keep track of it all. And it just kind of adds something to it. I want to see what that's like. So I think I'm going to do it. My buddy Scott, who's a loyal listener, he's a Pats fan. He's coming up from L.A., we're going to watch the game together. I think he and I are going to open a little joint account together just for Sunday and shut it down after that. But I, I, I'm just, my interest is peaked and I kind of want to see what it's like. So uh, I don't really Nice, have... yeah, and actually... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, so um, I'm, we're going to host a, a little bit of a, a Super Bowl party here nice. for some friends. It won't be a huge gathering. Probably 10 to 12 people over here, something like kind of potluck style. Um, and it's actually, it happens to fall on my birthday this year, which is always fun. Um, but awesome. what we're going to do, thank you. What we're going to do is, uh, something I've done in the past where we tell people to show up with 20 bucks, uh, and $10 will go to squares. You can get five squares for two bucks each and $10 goes to a prop bets sheet. And what I'll do is I'll select 20 bets that are interesting or fun or goofy. Um, every, everything from the game spread and the game over under to things like uh, the length of the national anthem, the coin toss, whether Adam Levine's wearing a hat to start his halftime show, crap like that. And then everybody 
picks all of the same 20 props and whoever gets the most right mm, wins you know, awesome. half the pot. So I've never heard uh, of so one that's, like that's that. What, so that's what we're going to roll with. We're gonna, I'm gonna basically going to pick 20 fun props. Whoever gets the most out of 20 right will take home uh, half of the pot and then we'll put the other half of the pot into the squares. That's an awesome that, – that'll be super fun. Uh, I did a game, I think, two years in a row during the Super Bowl. I'll just throw it out there for anyone who's interested. And it revolves around the commercials, which I hate. Um, and I usually <laughs> don't even watch. I, the whole commercial thing just drives me crazy, honestly. But one year we did this thing where it is similar. Like everybody put every commercial break, everyone put a dollar in the middle of the table and you had to yell out right as you went. Uh, no, no. So you did it like at the end of the last commercial break for the next one as to what corporation is going to have the first ad. Or you could say second or third, whatever. But, you know, you would just yell out like Budweiser and then Budweiser was taken and someone else would yell out Nike and Nike was taken and so forth and so on. And whoever got it right won the pot. And if no one got it right, it rolled over to the next commercial break. And it ended up being quite a bit of fun. And it made something that otherwise I wouldn't care about, I cared about. And it it was cool. The only thing that sucked about it was my buddy Tyler, who we both knew, cleaned up one year. One year where my parents (laughs) were there. He won like every freaking dollar out there he ended up walking away with like close to 200 bucks i think it got pretty expensive because i think there was like 10 of us playing and you know there's a lot of commercial breaks you do a dollar or one you know it adds up but yeah he walked out of my house that night for like 200 bucks in his pocket that pissed me off but i I digress um so i do do we want to make an official pick on the game i mean i don't i just i have not decided i don't think i'm going to be able to decide until the weekend, honestly. Yeah, I. You know what? I don't know that uh, I'm. I, I told you before, I don't have a ton of conviction about this, but I'm going to roll with the Rams for the purposes of uh, if I could see either team winning the game, then I like the team who's getting the points uh, because I, I just want to have those points. But the other thing too, and this is something that you looked at all season long, is is what Johnny Public is doing. And uh, apparently Vegas is writing about five Patriots tickets for every one Rams Correct. ticket right now. So for that reason, that the Rams is the side that I want to be on. I also want to be on the under. I agree. I would, I would take the under for certain. You know, I saw a stat in all of Tom Brady's Super Bowls. He's only scored in the first quarter one time, I think. And it was a field goal. I saw an, and I saw another stat that was... Patriots defense in the first quarter of all nine of their Super Bowls with Brady and Belichick at the helm, they've only allowed six points total in wow. the first quarter of all nine Super Bowls. So uh, I really like the prop. And uh, let's uh, let me let me get the number up here. But um, the will the Rams score a first quarter touchdown? The no prop is uh, is basic. No and yes is basically even money on hmm. each side or minus one ten on each side. Uh, I like the no because the Patriots essentially do not let other teams score a touchdown in the first quarter of the Super Bowl. Yeah. I know the Rams are a different animal offensively, but I think the Patriots are the kind of team that likes to get the ball first. They like to get into a rhythm uh, offensively and kill some clock early and then make the other team feel a little bit antsy when they first get the ball. So uh, I would lean that side. Good. I like that too. Uh, just to be on the record, I would, if I had to bet $100 on one side or the other, I would bet it on the Rams. Um, I would. 
and I'm going to root for the Patriots. I mean, that's basically where I'm at. I, I think, I think, I feel like 55 to 45 percent. I think the Rams are going to. I think they're going to win the game. I, I, I mean, the spread. I would definitely take them with the points, but I think I kind of think they're going to win the game. I hope they don't. I hope the Patriots win, and I like the under as well. Uh, so that's our last in the book for quite some time. I might shed a tear here. Um, and, you know, that's the, the other thing. It's like this is the last football game until Labor Day weekend. you got to go big. you got to go big for the Super Bowl. you got to enjoy every minute. Uh, and that's a big part of the excitement for me is there's going to be zero football between Sunday and Labor Day weekend. I mean, that, that's almost too much to take, but somehow I get through it every year. Um, but You better get acquainted with the AAF then. I'm not getting acquainted with the AAF or the WWF <laughs> or the whatever the fuck else they're, they're starting. I'm not in. Uh, what's your wild card of the week? <laughs> Uh, so my wild card of the week, um, I was thinking about going one of two directions. We have done a lot of food recently. I was going to ask for maybe your favorite Super Bowl snack, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's what you would prepare for a party or your favorite thing to have at a Super Bowl party. But I'm going to go in another direction because we've done a lot of food recently. If you want to just throw in a, a one or two word answer on the food one, you can. But okay. thinking about this Warriors dynasty and where they are right now, mm-hmm. I, I teased this earlier. Who do you think is the most likely to be the first to walk away from this grouping of core players, excluding Kevin Durant. Mm. And I I do think there's a decent chance that Kevin Durant tries to stay around anyways, but who's, who would be the first one you think to go between clay Draymond or Steph? Well, it almost seems like if Durant gets extended, they're going to have a hard time keeping clay. Am I right about that? It's yeah. I, I think it would be difficult to do that. Uh, I mean, they he would, would have to take a significant discount. Is, is basically the way it would come down. So I mean, for that reason, but I, I don't feel, know. Can they backload the contract? Yeah, uh, I'm not so that sure. They can, you know, the, you know these I think NBA that they can, contracts. There's so much nuance, and and it, there's a lot of nuance, and I don't completely understand it all. And I just rather than f- try to figure it out, I'd rather just wait and see what happens. Um, but it, it does seem that way and feel that way that if Durant signs the big contract this offseason, then Clay is gone. It seems that way. So for that reason, I'd say Clay. Now, I think that if Durant leaves, Clay is going to sign the super big contract and he's there for a while. Then Draymond's the next guy up. And I don't, wouldn't see Draymond leaving. You know, in, in that scenario, um, if Durant goes away this offseason, I could see those three staying together for the bulk, if not the entirety of their career. I mean, I really could see that. Um, so I guess that's my answer. Um, Durant yeah, I, stays, I Clay leaves, that... Durant leaves, they stay. Yeah, I, I hope that that is the right answer, that those three stay together for a long time. And it's not a slight to Durant's basketball skill, but I just I, I like the idea of keeping those three together better than any other three. Yeah. Um I don't I don't really want to see Clay leave. And frankly, I think Clay might be the one who loves the Bay Area the most. It's not to say the other guys don't, um, but Clay loves the life he's built for himself here, man. And he just he's a he's a California kid. He uh, you know wants to stay that way. He's he and his father have both said he'd love to retire a warrior. Uh you know, I don't know that we've heard that out of the other guys' mouths, and that's not to say that you know Steph or Draymond wouldn't also want to, but 
there have been rumblings that Steph could want to finish his career in Charlotte and yeah, kind of the, the, the very in twilight. Or Draymond in Detroit. Sure. The other thing, too, is Draymond has, has said pretty adamantly he expects the super max. And I, I'm not sure that depending on if they want to keep Clay around and what they have to do balancing the books, um, I you know w- whether they can afford that depending on what the luxury tax is uh, and, and what a super max for Draymond would look like at the time they have to write it, it's hard to say. I don't know that he's worth that, be- mostly because I don't think he'd be worth that on another team. Uh, and with that being the case, then why would you pay a premium for something that someone else won't pay a premium for? But you also don't want to disrespect the guy and make him so pissed off that he just isn't going to sign with you out of principle, which Draymond is certainly capable of doing. So I think he's a he's the most interesting kind of wild card. I think Clay wants to be here. Obviously, Steph is locked up and will be here. KD is a wild card, but we've known that for you know the duration really of this year that. We don't know where he's going to end up, but uh, I think that Draymond is the one for me that maybe I could see. Also, he, unlike the other guys, is a little bit tougher to handle at times, and I know that he's the straw that stirs the drink emotionally for that team, but at the same time, they've had so many of their run-ins, and the thing that happened with KD earlier this year, you could always get to a point where there's an incident that alienates him enough. They say, okay, if we have to pick between Clay and Draymond, we're going to go with the guy that's the least high maintenance, and that's definitely Clay. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said, as I often do. I mean, certainly you don't know what the hell is going to happen to Draymond. He certainly seems the most crazy. Um, but, but Volatile, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who's to say? I think we're we're still a few years away from that happening once we get through this offseason. I mean, this offseason is obviously a big one for all the reasons that we've described. Um, all right, so I've got a kind of off-the-beaten-path wild card that I came up with, um, and here it is. So for a while I had seen, I guess, mainly on Instagram, maybe a little bit of Twitter, you know, mainly college kids, I guess, like dancing and singing this song called Mo Bamba, and I uh-huh. don't really know what that song is or what the significance of it is. <laughs> and I realize I'm sounding like old dad here. Um, and that's, I guess, in many ways what I am. But I don't know what's going on. Can you inform me what's going on with this Mo Bamba song? And, and r- related, is it related to the rookie from the University of Texas who's now on the magic in any way? And if so, or if not, How's he doing? Like, I haven't heard a single word about him. Uh, is he playing good? So update me. I guess my wild card is update me on Mo Bamba, if you will. On please. all things Mo Bamba. Yes. Yeah. Um, it first came to my attention maybe <laughs> three weeks ago. The, the song, that is. Uh, and I still can't totally say that I understand it or why it's popular. There, I guess, are... It's kind of a chant going on in the background of the song where people are just singing Mo, the the name or the words Mo Bamba. I do believe it actually does have to do – it's like a I don't know, tribute. I don't know if, if it's the rapper and him are from the same play. I mean I don't, I don't know. I do believe it's related and not a coincidence. Uh, I couldn't tell you the first thing about what Mo Bamba has done this year. I don't know whether he'll be in the Rising Stars game. I don't know if uh, if if he is he could be out with in uh, out for the season with injury, or he could be the Rookie of the Year candidate. And I would not know. Okay, well, you well, don't if you really were the, you know, know what the hell is going the, on here, 
That's what we've if learned. He were Neither the one of us know what's going on because while you're telling me, I'll tell you that, this: if if he was the uh, rookie of the year candidate, I would know that he's not. Okay, I'm here to inform the Buck and Sack show hosts and audience as to what's going on. Thanks to our good friends okay. at Wikipedia. Okay. So, okay. So the song is by a rapper named Sheck Wes, and it was dropped in June of 2017. Um, and Sheck and Mo Mohammed Bamba, who plays for the Orlando Magic, grew up together in Harlem, and they okay. spent their childhood. I thought there was like a, a connection between yep. the two. Yes. So they're friends. Um, then there's some producers that took the song. So I guess Wes. What's, what's our guy's name here? Wes uh, Sheck West. Sheck West or something. Sheck West did the lyrics. These other guys did the beats, um, and I guess there's a little bit more to it. There's a big video out, but the lyrics are very interesting. Um, <laughs> yeah, they are. It's just uh, a bunch of cussing. Yeah, so I guess the thing that's getting a lot of attention online is when people yell, sort of, I've got the lyrics up here, and they are expli- <laughs> they are explicit. So if any young children are listening, turn this thing off right now. Because I'm going to take a page Good disclaimer. out of uh, Poppy's book here on, what is it? Uh, what, what's, the, what's the Dan Levitt? Uh, highly questionable. Yeah. Highly questionable. You highly know, when he sort of mouths the lyrics. So the big line in here is, oh, fuck, shit, bitch. Uh, young Sheck West, and I'm getting really rich. That, see how I caught it? Because I'm really with the shits. See me in the streets, and I'd be really with a cling cling with a bad bitch. Niggas straight rockin'. Nah, nah, I don't like saying that word. Straight see me. When they see me, they be coppin'. I'm the best drug dealer. Come and cop it. Young Sheck Wes, I'm like the fucking green goblin. And it goes on from there. We've got some lines <laughs> with dope, with the motherfucking motherfucking dope goblin. With the dope getting rich with my bro's bitch shit, I fucked your hoe shit, and she ain't even let you know she <laughs> fucked up. That's the bulk of the song. I think we've gotten to the bottom of this. Yeah, I've seen uh, uh, the videos of the kids doing the I'm the MF and goat uh, quite a bit, uh-huh. and uh, but I, I do like your radar. rendition. Let, let's see... Okay, so that takes care of the song aspect of the question. Let's see how our our man with the magic is doing. He is. I don't think he's played a ton of minutes. Or at least he wasn't at the well, start he was of the hurt year. A lot at Texas. Here he is. Just a quick a quick stat check on Mister Bomba. Um. Okay. Okay. Here we go. He was the sixth overall pick. He's played in 45 games. He's only started one. He's averaging 16 minutes a game, uh, and he's got six points and five rebounds and one and a half blocks. So that's kind of what he was at Texas. Didn't score much, played good defense. Yeah, raw, raw talent. Uh, Sixth overall pick. Fuck shit, bitch. Fuck shit, bitch. I think that's going to do it for this edition of the Buck and And with that... That's it. We had our first ever live rap, um, which I maybe know. something we'll have to dust off every every now and again. Yeah, it's too bad we don't have a producer. We could put that in like a promo or something and get a lot more followers because that was pretty <laughs> pretty fucking good rapping by me. Obviously. Okay. 
This is our Young longest Sacks podcast. I think it's our Larry Bird episode 33 uh, on the week leading into Super Bowl 53. I think we've put on a pretty good show. I'm going to have to end this show as I, as I usually do and say, good night, everybody. Sleep tight. Good night.